We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 601 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, June 23rd, 2023, and the 2023 NBA draft is complete. Although, before we go any further, can the NBA please fix the NBA draft so that trades are acknowledged prior to picks? Can we do this, please? The NBA draft has become a confusing mess. <laughs> with teams making trades, but then still selecting players with picks those teams are trading. This happened with the Wizards on Thursday night. They traded up from the number eight overall pick to the number seven overall pick, but the Indiana Pacers still made the number seven overall pick, and the Wizards still made the number eight overall pick. This kind of thing doesn't happen in the NFL draft. Why does this keep happening in the NBA draft? fix this, please. (laughs) Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the 2023 NBA draft ended up capping yet another wild day for the Wizards in a wild week for the Wizards. Uh, We on Thursday with the Wizards got the specifics of the Bradley Beal trade with the Phoenix Suns. We on Thursday with the Wizards learned of them trading Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors for a uh, rather intriguing package. We on Thursday night had what the Wizards did in the 2023 NBA draft. Heck, we on Thursday learned of the country of Qatar reportedly buying about 5% of the Wizards' parent company, Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, that happened on Thursday. This has been some week for the Wizards. Uh, There has been so much to take in. But bottom line, I do applaud the Wizards' new front office regime for doing the best it realistically could with a bad situation. Next segment, I'll explain that and take you through all that went down for our Wizards on a crazy NBA draft day. Uh, I then am going to welcome Washington, D.C. sports media insider Scott Allen of the Washington Post to the show, and we're going to have a unique conversation. We are going to assess the state of D.C. sports television. Uh, We this week have had big news in the mass and dispute and have had uh, this announcement of change for NBC Sports Washington to Monumental Sports Network, which is set to no longer have any commander's programming. Uh, Hovering over all of this, of course, is the cord-cutting phenomenon. What is going to happen with local television programming for the commanders? What is the outlook for a regional sports network like Monumental Sports Network. And where is local sports television going? Uh, We will address all of this and more. As you know, sports and television, they are as intertwined as can be. DC Sports Media Insider Scott Allen of the Washington Post is coming up in a bit for a look at the state of DC sports television. Also on the show, 
I will discuss yet another loss for the Nationals, a 5-3 loss to the National League West-leading Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon in a makeup game uh, and in a game in which Nats manager Davey Martinez got ejected and in a game in which the Nats had three more significant defensive miscues, prompting a rather despondent Davey during his post-game press conference. We did not get the usual upbeat and positive Davey Martinez during his post-game presser. Here's a sampling. The line has been crossed. It really has. I mean, I, you know, I have my conversations, and I'll, and I'll have a conversation tomorrow as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it, you know, we got to, you know, in order for us to get better and, and to compete and to compete with really good teams, this is, this is you know, this has got to clean, we got to clean it up. We really do. Yeah, the line has been crossed. Uh, you will hear what Davey Martinez said there in its entirety coming up later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Bill Laval on a certain guest who I had on Thursday's show, the uh, oh-so-monumental episode 600, writes Bill, yes, a Zach Selby sighting. I had been wondering when someone would get around to getting this prolific commander's insider's opinions on the state of the team. Good call, Al. Uh, Thank you for that, Bill. Yeah, Commander's Insider, Zach Selby of Commanders.com. Lots of good insight on the team. Uh, And as we noted during our conversation, Zach, as an employee of the Commanders, was allowed to watch every offseason practice that the team had. So no member of the media saw as many Commanders practices this offseason as Zach saw. Uh, The feedback on all that uh, the Wizards are doing continues to pour in. And speaking of Commander's Insiders, tweet... From Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC4 writes, J.P., what happened with the KP deal? Seems crazy. Boston ended up getting the picks and not the whiz. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, my good friend, J.P. Finley. Uh, Yeah, the three-team trade of the Wizards, Boston Celtics, and Memphis Grizzlies, the Celtics in the trade, getting KP, getting Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and two first-round picks, one for 2023 and one for 2024. The Wizards in the trade getting the number 35 overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala. Uh, Such is the reality of not having leverage. Uh, And the Wizards had very little leverage in the Porzingis situation with him having the $36 million player option for next season, just like the Wizards had very little leverage in the Bradley Beal situation with him having the no-trade clause. Uh, As I said on Thursday's show, as I ranted on Thursday's show, the Wizards possibly slash probably in parting with Bradley Beal, Chris Dapps, Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, and Rui Hachimura not getting back a single first-round pick is asset management malpractice of the highest order. And this is what happens when you have no direction and have no plan and end up waiting too long to decide on things. Uh, And I put this far more on the owner, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis, and on the previous team president and general manager Tommy Shepard than I do on the Wizards' new front office regime of Monumental Basketball President Michael Winger, Wizards' general manager Will Dawkins, and Wizards' senior vice president to player personnel Travis Schlenk. I am not going to rip Winger, Dawkins, and Schlenk. These guys inherited this mess. These guys are doing the best that they can with this mess. Tweet from Gardening Goblin. If Tommy was still around, (laughs) KP and Kuzma would have been near max extended. I can't get too disappointed with the new regime for getting expired returns for players traded months slash years past those players' highest values. Uh, Thank you, For the tweet, Gardening Goblin, a tweet from Andrew, this is literally why the front office was gutted. Ah, yeah, the Wizards front office uh, has been drastically changed, and hopefully for the better, we shall see. Tweet from Ivy City, time to go back to the name Bullets. Uh, Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Not since the team was the Bullets in the 1978-1979 season has the team had at least 50 wins in a regular season. And not since the team was the Bullets in 1979 has the team advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs. Well, founded in 1979 was the law firm of Paulson and Nace. And for more than 40 years, Paulson and Nace has been making justice possible for those harmed 
by the negligence of others. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. And by the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So in the midst of everything happening with the Wizards, how about this news involving the Wizards and Qatar? (laughs) Yeah, the country of Qatar. We on Thursday afternoon had multiple reports that the government of Qatar is spending $4.05 billion to buy about 5% of the Wizards' parent company, Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Uh, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis, he is getting in bed with Qatar. (laughs) Boy, did that news come out of nowhere. And it ended up being a footnote in what was a wild day in a wild week for our Wizards. So let's take what happened on Thursday in order. This was quite the day uh, for the Wizards' new front office power trio of Monumental Basketball President Michael Winger, Wizards General Manager Will Dawkins, and Wizards Senior Vice President of Player Personnel Travis Schlenk. Uh, First, we got the details of the Wizards' trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, he on Thursday afternoon reported the specifics of the trade, uh, which broke this past Sunday afternoon. So (laughs) here we go. The Wizards get six second round draft picks, which are in the 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027, 2028, and 2030 NBA drafts. The Wizards get four first-round pick swaps, which are in the 2024, 2026, 2028, and 2030 NBA drafts. The Wizards get Chris Paul. The Wizards get Landry Shamit. The Wizards get cash from the Suns. And the Wizards also send Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd to the Suns. Uh, That is a whole lot of quantity. Uh, Not necessarily quality, but there could prove to be a good amount of quality. Uh, We don't know if there are restrictions on the pick swaps, but uh, those pick swaps potentially could be valuable. They also could end up being a whole lot of nothing. Uh, But then on Thursday afternoon, we found out what's happening with Chris Paul, who basically nobody had anticipated staying with the Wizards. Multiple reports that the Wizards are trading Paul to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Poole, a 2030 protected first round pick, a 2027 second round pick, and Ryan Rollins. Uh, So mercifully, the Wizards are getting a first round pick at a losing Bradley Beal, but there is an asterisk uh, to that. The 2030 protected first round pick is a top 20 protected. That's according 
to NBA analyst Zach Lowe of ESPN. What's not clear is if the pick is a top 20 pick, do the Wizards get something else or are they just out of luck? And then with Jordan Poole. So the Warriors took Poole with the number 28 overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft out of Michigan. He blossomed into a really good player starting with his second NBA season, the 2020-2021 season. He played a major role in the Warriors winning the 2022 NBA title. The Warriors this past October signed him to a big money four-year contract extension, but Poole ended up having problems with the Warriors. Uh, He, this past October, uh, got punched by teammate Draymond Green in a preseason practice. Uh, Now, it's not like Poole ended up having some awful 2022-2023 season. Uh, Jordan Poole is very young. He's entering just his age 24 season. He's under contract through the 2026-2027 season, and he can score. Uh, Poole this past regular season averaged a career-best 24.5 points per 36 minutes and a career-best 32.2 points per 100 possessions, although his three-point percentage did fall and his turnovers went way up. He is owed a lot of money, and bottom line, the Warriors aren't dumb, okay? There are reasons that the Warriors are willing to part with Jordan Poole. So you got to go into the Wizards trading for Poole with eyes wide open. But, you know, Michael Winger and company turning Chris Paul into Jordan Poole, a 2023 protected first round pick, a 2027 second round pick. And Ryan Rollins is pretty good and is potentially great. I mean, you know, the possibility existed that the Wizards would have to buy out Chris Paul, that they are turning Paul into Poole a first-round pick, albeit protected, a second-round pick, and a throw-in in Ryan Rollins. Uh, not bad at all. And so let's take a step back for a moment. Uh, we on Wednesday night learned that the Wizards, Boston Celtics, and Memphis Grizzlies had agreed on the Kristaps Porzingis trade, that three-way trade in which the Wizards are sending Kristaps Porzingis to the Celtics and getting the number 35 overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala. So Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank turned Bradley Beal and Chris Dabbs Porzingis into Jordan Poole, Tyus Jones, a 2030 protected first-round pick, four first-round pick swaps, eight second-round draft picks, and then multiple other players in Landry Shamit, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and Ryan Rollins. Uh, That is a lot of quantity. Uh, and potentially also a lot of quality. That overall is a very nice job by Winger, Dawkins, and Schlank in a very difficult situation. It still drives me nuts how badly the Wizards botched the Bradley Beal situation and that they can't get more for Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and that they may well end up losing Kyle Kuzma for nothing via unrestricted free agency, and that they, going back to January, traded Rui Hachimura for pennies on the dollar. But all of that is not on Winger, Dawkins, and Schlenk. What you judge Winger, Dawkins, and Schlenk on is what they did with this mess that they inherited. And what they've done, at least so far, I think is pretty impressive. Uh, And so all of this took us to Thursday night's NBA draft, in which the Wizards, off all of these reported moves, had the numbers 8, 35, 42, and 57 overall picks. Now, the Wizards finished the 2022-2023 NBA regular season tied with the Indiana Pacers for the seventh best odds in the 2023 NBA draft lottery. As you may recall, the Wizards on April 17th lost an NBA draft lottery tiebreaker with the Pacers, meaning that the Wizards had the eighth best odds to win the 2023 NBA draft lottery, and the Pacers had the seventh best odds to win the 2023 draft lottery. And each team ended up getting the first round pick that the team was most likely to get. The Wizards got the number eight overall pick. The Pacers got the number seven overall pick. Well, the Wizards on Thursday night ended up trading up one spot. Uh, They traded into that Pacers spot Uh, Although, because the NBA does the draft to where trades aren't recognized until after the fact, the Pacers still pick seventh and the Wizards still picked eighth. The whole thing is so confusing, but what happened is that the Wizards traded the draft rights to the number eight overall pick and reportedly agreed to trade two second round picks to the Pacers for the draft rights for the number seven overall pick, with which the Pacers for the Wizards took 6'7 French wing Bilal Koulibaly. 
And so that tiebreaker, in essence, cost the Wizards two second-round picks. But, uh, of course, the Wizards right now have about a million second-round picks. But the Wizards traded up to take this guy, Bilal Koulibaly. Uh, the Wizards took a Euro on Thursday night. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly, he's 18. Uh, he was born on July 26, 2004. Koulibaly was a teammate of the number one overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Victor Wembanyama uh, on the Metropolitan 92s in the French Pro League. Uh, Koulibaly is considered good defensively uh, and raw, but with upside offensively. If you're a Wizards fan and you're wondering, what the heck should I think about this guy, Bilal Koulibaly? Here's what to think. This is an upside pick. This is the opposite of the high floor, low ceiling first round picks that the Wizards made with Tommy Shepard running Wizards basketball operations. Uh, Think Rui Hachimura with the number nine overall pick in the 2019 draft. Think Corey Kispert with the number 15 overall pick in the 2021 draft. Uh, Think Johnny Davis with the number 10 pick in the 2022 draft. And, you know, right now, uh, Davis's floor appears to be quite low. But this trading up to take Bilal Koulibaly is the kind of swing for the fences pick that you make when you're a rebuilding team, as the Wizards now are. The Wizards are rebuilding. The Wizards are tanking. And the Wizards, if they're going to get really good, need to connect big time on some first-round picks. Playing it safe with first-round picks is not the way to go. The Wizards need to swing big. Bilal Koulibaly is a big swing from the standpoint of he has the potential to be a big-time connection. He has real upside. So in that regard, I like the pick. I'm not going to pretend to know how he's going to develop or anything like that. Nobody knows. The NBA draft has become such a crapshoot. But philosophically speaking, what the Wizards did in the first round on Thursday night makes sense. Uh, And then the Wizards, with their three second-round picks on Thursday night, the numbers 35, 42, and 57 overall picks. Uh, Well, the Wizards reportedly are trading the draft rights to the numbers 35 and 57 overall picks, but the Wizards with the number 42 overall pick took a center out of Serbia, Tristan Vukcevic, uh, a guy who played very well in the Chicago pre-draft camp, but does appear to be the classic Wizards second round draft and stash player. Uh, We have seen quite a few second round draft and stash players for the Wizards over the years. Uh, It has been a chaotic last few days for the Wizards, starting with that news on Sunday afternoon of them agreeing to trade Bradley Beal to the Suns. Part of the chaos is that a good number of these trades are not official. The NBA offseason is so confusing and so convoluted in this way. Like, technically speaking, a lot of what the Wizards have done this week, the team is not officially done, although the Wizards in the overnight hours, Thursday night into Friday, did officially announce the Chris Dapps Porzingis trade. But, you know, we on Thursday night didn't even get a post draft press conference from Michael Winger or Will Dawkins. Again, the NBA draft to me could be done in such a better way. The NFL draft, you at the end of each draft day have a press conference with the head coach and or major decision maker, right? Like with the commanders, we this year at the end of each draft day heard from the head coach, Ron Rivera, and the general manager, Martin Mayhew. Instead, with the NBA draft, it's like this massive, confusing rush job, and you don't hear from people because things aren't official. It's just, to me, it could be done in such a better way. Anyway, uh, what's coming up next in the NBA offseason is free agency. Uh, The free agency negotiation period will officially begin on June 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, That's when a whole lot of news around the NBA can start breaking. But for the Wizards, of course, they have made the bulk of their news this week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this certainly has been a news-filled week for the Wizards. This also has been a news-filled week in Washington, D.C. sports television. We, on Tuesday evening, had the big news in the Masson dispute. Multiple reports that the Orioles have agreed to pay the Nationals the rest of the money owed to the Nats for 2012 through 2016, about $100 million. I, on Thursday's show, episode 600, spoke with the person who broke this news, Washington Post national baseball writer Chelsea Janes. Then, on Wednesday morning... We got the announcement that NBC Sports Washington is becoming Monumental Sports Network effective this September. Uh, It was this past August 23rd that Monumental Sports and Entertainment announced that it was gaining 100% ownership of NBC Sports Washington. And so now the network is being rebranded as Monumental Sports Network. And there are no plans for commanders programming on Monumental Sports Network. Uh, There has been a divorce between the network and the team off the network and the team having had a big money relationship for years. So Monumental Sports Network is going to be a whole lot of Wizards, Capitals, and Mystics coverage given that those three teams are owned by Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Uh, These are interesting times in Washington, D.C. sports television, especially when you factor in the overall phenomenon of cord cutting. So where are we with D.C. sports television? Where are we going with D.C. sports television? I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Washington, D.C. sports media insider Scott Allen of the Washington Post. He wrote an in-depth piece about this change for NBC Sports Washington to Monumental Sports Network. Uh, Also, Scott, in March 2021, wrote a very nice article about this podcast. Uh, You can follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott S. Allen. Hey, Scott, how are you? Great to be here, Al. Thanks so much for having me. Pretty good. Yeah, good to have you on. Uh, Before we get to some of the bigger picture stuff, I am interested in NBC Sports Washington slash Monumental Sports Network no longer having commanders programming. Is the reason for that simply that the network now is fully owned by Monumental Sports and Entertainment? Did commanders programming not do good ratings or not prove profitable? Do we know specifically why uh, there has been this parting between the network and the team? I don't know specifically outside of um, Ben Strauss, my colleague, reported earlier this year that the team, that is the commanders, failed to reach a deal with uh, Monumental NBC Sports Washington to continue pre- and post-game coverage of commanders' games going forward. I would find it hard to believe um, that that programming didn't do well. I mean, even with the deteriorating um, cachet of of DC's NFL franchise over the years – I would wager that that was some of the most watched uh, programming. I don't have the numbers to back that up, but the NFL is king. It's the local NFL team. The commanders are still a big deal here. Um, So, yeah, while there's no plans, Zach Leonsa said, for a football-focused program or any commanders programming going forward outside of uh, J.P. Finley's Beltway football podcast, which which is a legacy production of NBC Sports Washington, I – I think there's a decent chance that once the sale of the commanders is finalized that you know yeah even though monumental doesn't own any stake in the commanders that they could go to the josh harris group and get a deal done to do some sort of commanders programming going forward 
What do you see as viable options to fill the void of Commander's television programming should Monumental Sports Network not have Commander's programming? I think there's a chance you could see them make a deal with, this is just speculation, but with uh, an entity like NBC, where they've had you know a relationship from broadcasting preseason games in the past. I think they've got to wind up somewhere. I don't see a scenario where the Commander's are left doing all of their pre and post game coverage on some internal, you know, U- commanders YouTube channel or on commanders.com. I mean, I guess that's, that's a possibility, but I think in terms of wanting greater reach, once Josh Harris gets established in there, once this deal is approved that they'll be reaching out to, to various partners and, and if necessary, new, new outlets that they haven't necessarily worked with in the past to, to get some sort of deal done. It's interesting with the Commanders because they are doing a lot of digital programming, a lot of stuff on their website and on YouTube and on social media channels. Do you think that a big-time pro sports team just having digital programming as opposed to having local television network programming is viable long-term? Or do you think that a major pro sports team is always going to need some version of local television network programming? Yeah, it's a good question, and we're going to see a great case study with with monumental sports network right going forward in terms of you know three teams under ted's ownership and he kind of controls all of the the program i think the key for nfl type teams the key to all of um this kind of transformation to uh from linear traditional cable tv programming to digital platforms is that the games are are still king right i mean the, the, whatever network streaming platform platform has the games is going to draw attention there now if you're a team i think it does make some sense outside of those games for the pre and post game coverage if you can build up um as monumental has kind of the production capabilities to produce your own pre and post game show and you have some platform that can that has wide reach and can get a, a lot of viewers um it, it may make sense going forward to cut out kind of that that RSN, cut out the 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 other outlet to distribute that for you. And I think I think actually we will kind of see that going forward that more teams do try to take it in house and take more control of their of their program. Now, of course, a potential casualty with that is objectivity, the ability to be critical. Uh, we have the commanders putting out a lot of in-house coverage. We have monumental sports and entertainment now having full ownership of the network that televises the games for the teams that monumental sports and entertainment owns, the Capitals, Wizards, and Mystics. Uh, Now, there are some very good people who work in the commander's media department and who work for what's becoming monumental sports network, but it doesn't matter how great you are at your job if you're not allowed to say everything that you want to say or can say uh, and are censored. Do you think that we're losing something with local sports coverage in terms of objectivity? Yeah, absolutely, to an extent. I think, you know, no matter whether Ted Leonsis and Zach Leonsis come out and say, look, we're not going to have day-to-day, we're not going to be standing over our employees having, you know, day-to-day editorial oversight on on what appears on our website or what's said on our air i think you know it's just human nature and if you now work for monumental sports network you know as, as a reporter or as an on-air personality you're thinking whereas in the past you you criticize the team maybe you worry that they'll do something drastic and you know not give you the same access as some other reporter or not you know give you that one-on-one interview that that uh, you would request. Now you're thinking, okay, maybe I could lose my job over this, given who's signing the checks. I think, though, uh, it's important to keep in mind that um, while Ted Leonsis bought the, the remaining stake of NBC Sports Washington last year, he's had a relationship with the network for since 2016 when they got a one-third stake in it. Um, I think if if you watched games last year, um, while it was owned fully by uh, Monumental Sports, I don't know if you would have necessarily noticed much of a change from before then. I think, um, given the nature of the relationship between teams and TV outlets, I think TV um, broadcasters 
and do play-by-play and analysis, often there's a little bit more of a, a homer slant um, than you get in print media or, or even radio. Um, so, but, but I do think um, it will be interesting to kind of watch how uh, the reporters, they've got some very good reporters over there at Mind Enough Sports Network coming over from NBC, NBC Sports Washington, see how they're able to cover the team um, and what they the type of things that they, they say uh, in terms of criticizing moves when necessary over the years. It's crazy how things have shifted. There used to be a rule, maybe there still is, that a Washington Post reporter covering a team could not vote for awards for that team's sport. Is that correct? That's right. That's been, I, I think it's, I'm not even sure it's if you cover a team. I think just as a, a policy in sports, we don't vote for, for postseason awards. Okay, so we've gone from that, and you guys still adhere to that, to now teams owning regional sports networks, RSNs. Like, that's not what anyone was aiming for. But, you know, at the same time, there are financial realities to the sports media business now to where teams owning RSNs or teams just putting out their own coverage may well be the way that things need to be, for better or for worse. Yeah, and, and I think it's the important thing is that there are, thank you for plugging the post, there are still outlets like like the post and your podcast where you can be, you can speak freely and honestly and, and criticize the owner when it's warranted and, and the moves that they've made um, and, and such. I think, you know, thinking about this Monumental Sports Network announcement, so much was made of the, you know, behind the scenes access of the team, mic'd up players and coaches which from a fan's perspective is all great. I mean, yeah, you can take a step back and realize that, okay, it's a trade-off, right? You're going to get more access to your favorite players and teams, but you're, you also know that that's going to be filtered access. You know, we're not necessarily going to be hearing the huddle, uh, you know, live in the moment. It's got to go through some process where well, let's cut out that bad word or let's cut out this, this thing so-and-so said. But I'm seeing some of the chatter on, on Twitter I think it's a legitimate worry. Um, I think it's something worth thinking about in terms of what this does for objectivity. But I also think a lot of fans, the way they consume sports, you know, they don't necessarily care. They're there to, they, they, they're all for more access and these programming outside of games and new camera angles and such, and that excites them. And, you know, if they want to see scathing criticism of the team, they don't expect it from the team owned outlet, and they can go elsewhere. We are discussing the state of Washington, D.C. sports television with D.C. sports media insider Scott Allen of the Washington Post. So if what is becoming Monumental Sports Network doesn't have any commander's programming and only goes with Capitals, Wizards, and Mystics programming, is the network viable? Like, is there enough interest in those teams to allow for a regional sports network that offers no programming on the football team to do well? That's a great question. Um, and I would even add, uh, maybe we'll get to it later, the, the possibility of Eliansis buying the Nats into the mix there and whether that could become a part of the empire. I think the answer becomes a lot more clear if, if you have a program with, you know, the baseball team, the football team, or sorry, the baseball team, the hockey team, and the basketball team, two basketball teams, where you can program year-round. I mean, I think, yeah, that's that's certainly viable. Now, football is, is you would think, the, the, the cash cow and, and the missing piece there. I think, you know, Monumental Sports Network, they've got enough money to, to give this a go and try to make it work. I think the interesting thing to watch going forward, whether or not they strike a deal with the commanders, is what this revamped digital platform that they've talked about looks like. Because on the surface, yesterday's announcement is kind of, maybe you step back and say, this is kind of weird. They're pumping all this money into a linear you know, TV station when you look around and there's just chaos. RSN's crumbling everywhere. But the Ted and Zach have made no bones about the fact that the future is this digital platform. They've talked a lot about rolling that out. It hasn't been announced yet. I wonder if it will be announced before the season, but I'm interested to see what they do with that in terms of uh, a direct to consumer subscription based service. What sort of 
money they're going to be asking for? Can it be just for the Wizards, just for the Capitals, all teams rolled into one? Um, how that looks, I think, will will play a big role in you know whether this model can work going forward. That's a great point, and that obviously ties into the Masson situation. And look, who the heck knows where the Masson situation is going, but it would seem that direct-to-consumer subscriptions is the ultimate destination for all of this stuff. Is that how you see things? Yeah, absolutely. And in some respects, I'm surprised that uh, Monumental, which often prides itself um, sometimes for better and worse on being first to, to have these ideas. Um, even when they not, don't necessarily work out, wasn't in this case. I mean, you could you could say yes, they launched their monumental sports network digital platform in 2016, where they offered you know Mystics games by subscription and some other local high school and, and college games. But in terms of the major pro sports, the, the one that I, that I look to as an example that's kind of set the bar that I'm curious to see how monumental compares to is uh, Steve Ballmer and his Clipper vision, which was announced last October. Um, and essentially for $199 a year, if you're a Clippers fan, you get access to all of the non-nationally televised games. And not only that, when you tune into these games, you've got six different ways to watch it. You can watch the traditional broadcast with the regular broadcasters. You can watch a Manning Pass style feed with Clippers alumni. You can watch a, a one that shows augmented reality and real-time shot probability. And I think the key there is not all of those are going to appeal to, to everybody. You know, I want to just tune in and watch the game. Just give me a play-by-play guy. I, I can even mute it. I just, I just want to see the game. But the more options, it's all about options and customizability, I think, with these direct-to-consumer platforms. If you give enough options and enough reason for one person to subscribe and another person to subscribe, that, I think, seems like, a great opportunity for growth. So I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, Monumental hinted at alternate feeds, a Manning test style thing, even for the, the linear channel. They've done some experience in the past with like predict the game and gambling, gamification stuff. Um, I'm curious to see when they finally announce this digital platform, just how many options we're, we're talking I ask this next question, understanding that uh, we all live in our own echo chambers and thus have this tendency to think that whatever we're interested in, many, if not most other people are interested in too. But if you had to do an objective ranking of the big four pro sports teams of Washington, D.C., in terms of interest, in terms of which teams people care about the most, commanders, nationals, capitals, wizards, what would be your ranking? Four is easy for me. Uh, Wizards at four. I think there's great potential there, but I, I think Wizards at four right now. Um, I still think Commanders number one, and maybe that's the result of a little bit of a bump with the, the news of the last year um, and this impending sale and a, and a new era on the way. I think Commanders won. Um, and then I put Caps and Nats, I think, very close. I mean, they both won championships. They won championships within two years, which I think gives them a huge boost. I think they're in a healthy bit above uh, the Wizards. Um, so I guess I would go Commanders, Nationals, Capitals, Wizards. That's interesting. Uh, that exactly mirrors how I would rank uh, those teams in terms of interest. I don't know if you're comfortable answering this next question. If you're not, that's fine. But does that ranking match up with interest from readers of the Washington Post with clicks on stories on WashingtonPost.com? I don't know that I'm comfortable sharing that. I mean, okay. I think you can look at our coverage and see that, I mean, especially on the blog, I, I typically, coverage ramps up during commander season. I mean, it's no secret. You can look to other outlets, too, in terms of the athletic and what they're doing in terms of how they reimagine their coverage. Um yeah, I will say that it, it used to be um, when I first started nine years ago, we wrote so much on the, the football team. I mean, every little thing. And part of that was the 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 way that blogging and reporting and, and all that has evolved over the years. But um, I, I think I've definitely seen there's a there's a clear waning in, in interest that I think is, is getting a much needed bump 
uh, and recovery from this, this team sale. It's fascinating because we've had this horrendous 24-year run for the football team with Dan Snyder as its owner. So much losing, so much controversy, and yet the team still is number one among all teams in Washington, D.C. sports in terms of interest. Even though the Capitals have made massive strides and the Nationals have arrived and made great strides, uh, the Wizards not so much, but something with the football team that strikes me is that it is part of the NFL, which during this time of the Dan Snyder era has grown immensely in terms of popularity and profitability, and thus is like the ultimate rising tide, lifting all boats, even a sinking boat like the football team. And so even with the Caps having won a Stanley Cup title in 2018 and the Nats having won a World Series in 2019, the football team still is number one in area interest. Can you ever see a team other than the football team being the number one team in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, it's that's interesting to think about. I guess I would say, and maybe this is an out-of-the-box answer, is that if there's one team that could do it, like I'm going to say the Wizards, I guess, just because, you know, as, a, as someone who grew up here and loved the Bullets and, you know, would tune into every game I could and followed them religiously. And then, you know, I suffered through <laughs> what the last 20 years, kind of like with the, with the commanders, um, you know, to see the love that like my fan, my friends have on group texts about the NBA. I mean, you hear so often about how it's growing and growing and growing and is, you know, making strides and gaining on, on the NFL. Um, but when you don't have a, a team that's that's any good or competing for championships, it, you don't see that. Yeah. But I think if if this uh, rebuild, however long it takes, if, if they you know somehow win a championship in this town for the first time since uh, NBA championship for the first time since '78, maybe. I mean, maybe if the Commanders continue to falter under the Josh Harris ownership, but probably unlikely. I think that's a long shot. Um, but I just in terms of a sleeping giant. I think other people have used that term before. Maybe, maybe Ted Leonsis says about the basketball team. I, I think, yeah, an outsider's pick, but maybe Wizards. That makes a lot of sense. Final question. I could make a very strong case that a little more than 20 years ago, say 2001, 2002, the number two in Washington, D.C. sports was a combination of Maryland basketball and Maryland football. You had the Terrapins basketball team making back-to-back Final Fours in 2001 and 2002, including winning the 2002 national title. You had the Terps football team over its first two seasons with Ralph Regan as head coach doing shockingly well in the 2001 and 2002 seasons, including making the Orange Bowl for the 2001 season. Uh, there, of course, was a time in the 1980s in which Georgetown basketball was on fire. Three national championship game appearances in four years, 1982, 1984, and 1985, including the 84 national championship. The truth is that this area is not the great college sports area that it used to be. But do you see that changing to where a college team could make its way into the top four teams in D.C. sports? I guess I view it as unlikely. I think it depends a lot on, you know, just how those those programs are faring. I think they're, you know, as a kid growing up, I, I didn't go to Maryland, but I loved Maryland basketball. Um, and I continue to love Maryland basketball despite not going to Maryland. Um, and I think it was, you know, it was, it was fun to kind of watch that team get very good under Gary Williams and then finally win uh, a national championship. And I think, you know, were the Terps or the Hoyas to get very good again and compete on that level, you would see, you know, kind of a, a bandwagon effect from people who, yeah, they may not have gone to those schools, but there's, I think there is some local interest in, you know, just getting behind a winner. You know, it, I think even with, we saw it with the Caps and the Nats runs. Yes, there were a lot of diehards who, were invested in those teams before and, and suffered for years and years and watched losing teams. But you also had a lot of people who just got kind of swept up in the excitement. And I think the same thing can happen um, in, in local college teams as well. 
All right. Excellent insight and perspective on the state of Washington, D.C. sports television with uh, D.C. sports media insider Scott Allen of The Washington Post. Scott, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much, Allen. You too. All right. Hope that you enjoyed that. If you did, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. Well, the Nationals on Thursday afternoon had a makeup game against the National League West leading Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. Uh, this was a makeup of a game that was supposed to have happened on June 8th, but uh, did not happen due to what Major League Baseball called, quote, clearly hazardous air quality conditions in Washington, D.C., end quote. Uh, the conditions were caused by wildfires in Canada. The conditions at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon were uh, cloudy and empty. Uh, There was basically nobody at Nationals Park, uh, and the result of the game was yet another Nats loss and also an ejection of Nats manager Davey Martinez. 5-3 was the final. Uh, The Nats now have lost 17 of their last 22 games. The Nats now are 28-46. and That is the second worst record in the National League. And yeah, Davey on Thursday afternoon got ejected. He got tossed. Uh, This happened in the top of the fifth. One out, nobody on base, and the Nats trailing 2-1. The Nats starting pitcher Jake Irvin threw a pitch that was low uh, and was called a ball by the home plate umpire Doug Eddings. Now, the pitch did appear to be a ball, but this was not the first call from Eddings on Thursday afternoon that uh, the Nats did not like. Uh, Also, there were very few people at Nationals Park for this game. Official attendance was just 13,251. So umpires very easily could hear players. Someone in the Nats dugout said something about the call of the pitch from Jake Irvin as a ball. Doug Eddings ended up talking back to the Nats dugout, and that led to a back and forth between him and Davey Martinez. Davey then came out of the dugout. Eddings and Davey then got into a heated exchange, and Eddings ended up tossing Davey as he was making his way back to the Nats dugout. And then the show was on. The Davey Martinez show. Uh, Davey then came back out onto the field, screamed at Eddings, swiped and kicked dirt onto home plate, got on the ground stomach first to demonstrate something to Eddings, and said to Eddings, you're embarrassing. Uh, This was quite the performance by Davey Martinez, who has got to be frustrated with the way that things are going for his team. The Nats began this regular season 4 and 11, then went 19 and 18 off that 4 and 11 start. But since the 19 and 18 stretch, the Nats are just 5 and 17. I mean, think about that. 17 losses in 22 games. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Thursday afternoon on the ejection. Uh, you know, it just um one I wasn't the one screaming in the dugout. I mean, it was it was loud. You could hear everything, you know. Um, but you know, I mean, we're in a crucial situation right there, and you know, the, the call was bad. I mean, so, but I, you know what? Look, like I said before, nothing against nothing against the umpires, nothing against. But you know, I'm gonna protect my players, and and that's all there's to it. So, you know, it was just you know that that moment, it was crucial. Uh, he takes the pitch. He does a good job. And maybe he gets the next pitch. Who knows? Maybe he gets a base hit, and you know we're back in the ball game. So, um, just a, it's just a tough situation. Davey Martinez on Thursday afternoon got ejected for the eleventh time in a regular season game as Nats manager, and for the first time in this 2023 regular season. Davey, during his post game press conference, to me sounded tired, uh, sounded beaten down. I think that his team is tired and his team is beaten down. Uh, And so things for Davey on Thursday afternoon reached a boiling point. Consider this exchange during Davey's postgame presser on Thursday afternoon with Ferries Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post. Davey, you're so relentlessly positive. I I wonder if there's a a time when, with all these little things that happened going wrong, all the plays that cost you runs today, where you do put your foot down and, and say, this, this has to stop. 
Um, what's that line? Yeah, we, we, the, the line has been crossed. It really has. I mean, I, you know, I have my conversations, and I'll, and I'll have a conversation tomorrow as well. Um, but you know, it's it's it, you know, we gotta you know, in order for us to get better and and to compete and to compete with really good teams, this is this is you know, this is gotta clean. We gotta clean it up. We really do. I mean, you know, you know, we, we we there's times where we play really good. There's times when we play play good teams really really well. You know, and. Um, and if we, you know, if we happen to get beat, we get beat. I mean, that's part of it. But to beat ourselves, that's that's not that's not who we are. That's not that I won't I won't allow that. That's unacceptable. Um, so there'll definitely be conversations tomorrow about it. Um, but we definitely got to keep it up, and we'll stay on these guys to get better at it. You say conversations. Is that like a, a team conversation or with individual? You know, for me, you know. It's about it's about individual because you know, these guys these guys out there they're playing really well, so you know I will I will sit down and talk to guys individually. If it's a team thing, then I will I will sit down and address the team. Um, if it's a hitting thing, I'll talk to all the all the hitters. If it's a pitching thing, we'll talk to all the pitchers. Um, and if I feel like it's a you know we need to sit down as a whole, and for me when I do that, it's I, I want to hear them speak more than me speaking. I want to know what they're, they're thinking, what they're going through, and then we'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah, that was a frustrated Davey Martinez on Thursday afternoon. I mean, it was good and also entertaining uh, to see Davey throw the tirade that he did throw after getting ejected by Doug Eddings. But the Nats are really bad right now. Uh, the Nats with this 5-3 loss to the Diamondbacks at Nationals Park on Thursday afternoon concluded a woeful 1-6 and homestand. Now, a positive for the Nats on Thursday afternoon was starting pitcher Jake Irvin. He pitched well. Uh, Irvin, in fact, was good for a second consecutive start since having his turn in the rotation skipped. Uh, he allowed two runs, one earned in six innings, with six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just five hits, all of which were singles. He issued a hit by pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes. 87 pitches, 61 strikes versus just 26 balls. Uh, Irvin, in his previous start, the 5-2 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park this past Saturday also was good. Uh, he, in pitching in a game for the first time since June 6, allowed one run in five innings. Now, the two innings in which Jake Irvin gave up a run on Thursday afternoon were innings that featured more defensive mistakes by the Nats. Uh, the Nats came into Thursday just 27th out of 30 major league teams in team defensive runs saved for this regular season at minus 20. For comparison's sake, the Diamondbacks were number five at plus 21. Uh, Jake Irvin in the top of the first allowed an unearned run on two singles, the second of which was a two-out first pitch run-scoring single by the former Oriole, Kristen Walker, up the middle. And then center fielder Derek Hill committed a fielding error in overrunning the ball allowing Corbin Carroll to score all the way from first base. Irvin in the top of the fourth allowed a run on two singles and an RBI sack fly. One of the singles was a one-out single by Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who sent a pop-up to shallow center field, but second baseman Luis Garcia completely lost track of the ball, and so it dropped for what went down as a single. And we later in the game had another significant Defensive mistake by the Nats. Uh, two Nats relievers on Thursday afternoon combined to allow three runs, all unearned in three innings. Jordan Weems in the top of the seventh allowed three runs, all of which were unearned due to a throwing error by Luis Garcia. Uh, the error came off a well-hit leadoff grounder by Alec Thomas, although the Nats' first baseman on Thursday afternoon, Michael Chavis, uh, could have caught uh, what was a one-hop throw by Garcia. Uh, but, you know, that was not a great throw by Garcia. And then Jordan Weems did not respond well to the air. He issued a two-out walk of Geraldo Perdomo, and then Weems gave up a two-out, three-run home run by Cattell Marte to the second deck in right field for a 5-2 Diamondbacks lead. Corey Abbott tossed two scoreless innings, but three significant defensive miscues by the Nats in this game. Their defense really has fallen off. Uh, the Nats' offense on Thursday afternoon was basically about three guys, Lane Thomas, Capert Ruiz, and Riley Adams. Uh, the Nats for this game totaled three runs, nine hits, and just one walk. Eight of the nine hits came 
from these three players. Uh, Lane Thomas, the Nats' best hitter this season, he on Thursday afternoon as the Nats' starting right fielder and number one batter, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Thomas in the Nats' one-run third, a one-out solo home run to left field to tie the game at one. And Thomas in the bottom of the fifth, a leadoff opposite field weekly hit single that uh, trickled into right center field on an 0-2 pitch. Hey, when you're going well, you're going well. Uh, Lane Thomas's team-leading OPS for this regular season now is at 839. Uh, K. Ruiz, he on Thursday afternoon was the Nats starting DH and number five batter. He went three for four with a ground rule double and two singles. Uh, K. Baird in an Nats two-run ninth, a leadoff ground rule double off the left center field warning track on an 0-2 pitch. And so with K. Baird as the DH, Riley Adams on Thursday afternoon was an Nats starting catcher and number seven batter. And he had a three-hit game. He went three for four with a two-run homer and two first pitch singles. Adams in the bottom of the second, a two-out first pitch single to left field. Adams in the bottom of the fourth, a one-out first pitch single to left center field. And Adams in that Nats two-run ninth, a one-out first pitch opposite field, two-run homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 5-3. The homer went a projected 404 feet per stat cast. How good has Riley Adams been in uh, infrequent playing time in this regular season? Just 63 plate appearances, but an OPS of 960. Next up for the Nats, nine consecutive road games beginning with a six-game trip out west, and that six-game trip out west will begin with a three-game series at the San Diego Padres this weekend. Game one, Friday night at 9.40, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 8.40, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 4.10, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 602. We'll have a lot for you on the Commanders and on the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series at the San Diego Padres. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. The line has been crossed. It really has. I mean, I, you know, I have my conversations, and I'll, and I'll have a conversation tomorrow as well. Um, but you know, it's it's it, you know, we gotta you know, in order for us to get better and and to compete and to compete with really good teams, this is this is you know, this is gotta clean. We gotta clean it up. We really do.